Now you've got this opportunity to say, well, I can sell everywhere. Look at your business, refresh yourself to say, how can I in 24 months make this even better, greater, with greater people, greater happiness? You know, where do you see you when the pendulum comes back? What do you look like? Welcome to Nine Zero. I'm your host, Aaron Kanata. I'm here today with Peter Jackson. He's the CEO of Bluescape, and they're a virtual work platform for your enterprise. And really what we're going to be talking about today is rethinking the modern workday, mental health for remote teams, what it means to have a platform versus just disparate apps uh, when you are logging on remotely and how to really collaborate best with your team, that and probably a million other things. Um, so let's just get to it, Peter. It's great to have you back on the microphone. This isn't actually our first conversation. Yeah, I know. We had a good time last time. Yeah, uh, we uh, we had a lot of giggles. But I bet this is a this is a great platform we built, and and uh, I hope hopefully we can do something today that helps some people in the audience. Yeah, I hope so too. And I, I think the first time around, because I'm kind of a nerd, I must have brought up the fact that your name is Peter Jackson. It's probably unavoidable in your world and I'm going to do it again to you. Uh, you might not be the most known Peter Jackson throughout Hollywood and, and, and as public facing, but you're pretty well known in the movie production space, or at least the company is. Um, it, I, obviously, that's just a funny coincidence, but maybe it's a good place to start what, what was really the origin for Bluescape um, and, and how did you guys become the go-to collaboration software for, you know, movie production studios? And we're really talking the major ones, right? Yes. In fact, a lot of advancement this year for obvious reasons. But, the, you, know, you know, before we start, I think the Peter Jackson name has helped in a lot of capacities, you know, uh, reservations at hotels in L.A. People take your call. When someone says, hey, I want to introduce you to Peter Jackson, people get right back to me. And then they obviously you got to you got to recover from that. Um, Do you ever have to see the disappointment in their eyes when they actually oh, figure yeah. out you aren't <laughs> Peter Jackson? There's, all the, there's ads out there where the guy like <laughs> who's supposed to be picking up Michael Jordan. and He's all excited. And it's some, you know, five foot three chubby guy. You know, it's that's just, funny. Yeah, I know the. Uh, I, I started looking at this platform literally a little over three years ago. Um, and it, I was really blown away by it, but I was also like, you know, it looks a little like eye candy, like, Oh, mm -hmm. okay. You're going to put everything in this, you know, this visual container and you know, how am I going to access that? And you know, when I saw it, it was all whiz bang on touch screens and people were moving things around and, you know, sort of like there's a scene, I think in the matrix where they're doing a bunch of stuff like that. And, when I look at I, I it, think I, my, I think of Minority Report. When, yes, what I've seen of your software, yeah, it's 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 Tom Cruise when he's moving it around, moving everything around on the screen. Right. Yeah, yeah, that, that was it. And, and you know, when I I actually think that's really nichey uh, as as a business model because how many people like sit around and have you know fifty thousand dollar touch screens where they can move things around and then. There's this whole VR sort of like put on a VR glasses and you're going to be able to immerse yourself in documents with people all over the place and everything else. Yeah. I mean, it sounds really good. Um, the company was well capitalized at the time. I was I was going to have to go out to venture. All you people out there having to raise money or having to do that. It's the rejection is just brutal. And I think it's the hardest part about being an entrepreneur. And, and I've done it. And we, we could talk a little bit about that in my whole career. But there's, you know, you're still going to get nine out of 10 times you're, you know, unless you're just smoking it, you're going to get the, you know, we're, it's just not right. Our model, or, you know, we just can't get around this price. Come back when you don't need money. Uh, so in this particular case, I ran into something where they're like, no, we'll support you. We got hundreds of millions of dollars. We, we got 3 billion. 
And, you know, what do you think we should be doing with this platform? And it was running in the government, had a little bit of media entertainment, not a lot. And I started thinking about uh, distributed workforces. Like, mm-hmm. what is it? What, why do people get in cars and drive for an hour and then park their car and pay for parking and then have a $20 lunch downtown and then you know, sit around and then, you know, in the, it, yeah, I, I get the connection with human beings and everything else in the office and, you know, getting coffee together and everything else. But, you know, if, if, if your commute is 25 minutes each way, that's equivalent to like six weeks a year you're in your freaking car. And so this whole idea of productivity was coming up with my brain. And I was like, what if you could really create almost all the same environments in, in a distributed workforce platform? And so I went out and hired the best and the brightest uh, to, to build that distributed workforce. And they, you know, they had, I don't know, 5,000 users using it. And, you know, my goal was, could I get to a million? We're approaching a million right now. But it's like at the time, I had to think about it as a web-based container that was secure, that can't be hacked, and people can put everything in there in terms of the data. So, so that sort of sums up what it is. And I went there with the idea of pivoting it and making it something more than a minority report, you know, move your hands around Tom Cruise guy. Was this something where you just as a boss not wanting to go in the office yourself and you said, if I'm not going to do it, I can't make others? Or was this something you've thought about and done at previous companies? I mean, how, how do you come to the the idea that if people aren't at work, it seems counterintuitive, right? To, at least to a lot of managers and who, who go through more traditional training. If people aren't at work, we can't monitor them, can't monitor what they're doing. We can't be sure they're going to be productive. How do you, A, believe uh, that, that people will be more productive if they're, if they're not in the same physical space as you? And then B, what, what do you do to, to kind of like help facilitate and really nurture that productivity? Because obviously that's where the tool comes in, right? If, if, if the belief is they are going to be more productive, you need the tools to, to help them accomplish that. You do need the tools. I mean, you have to have an environment as a leader that where there's trust, and there's productivity. It's trust and productivity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, if, if you don't hook people up for your podcast and you don't market it properly, you don't go do that. You're not going to be able to feed that baby of yours. You know, that's, right. that's what it comes down to. And so people it, suddenly being in a distributed remote work environment, you have to, you have to embed trust right away that, that, but you can't, you can't put time. Like, you, you know, that's the thing about you got to be at the work office at nine. You, you, you know, we generally don't like it if you leave until after five. And, you know, the big companies, you see people at five o'clock just lined up at the door to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Um, or they're streaking in all at nine o'clock. And it, to me, uh, you know, you got to trust that your people have a skill set that you're leveraging. And what is the productivity? How, what are the milestones as a manager that you're trying to achieve? And that sort of takes away you know, almost 80% of the friction just by thinking right. of that way. I trust this person's going to get it done and we all agree we're going to do it. And then you use a platform to sort of measure the, the, the progress left to right. Uh, you know, what did we do a week ago? What did we get done this week? What, what should we get done next week? Show me your documents, put this all in here and let everybody else see it. Let everybody else comment on it. So suddenly you've created it instead of a phone call situation where one guy's talking like I am now mm-hmm. and they're, you know, there's 10 people in the room, which is, you know, 20 years unless Van goes in there. It, if you if you create an environment where someone's talking all the time about what you're going to do, whether you're in an office or out of an office, you, you're really not collaborating. You're not, work, you're not maximizing the efforts of those 10 or 11 brains. So I give myself credit for having a brain. 
So if you <laughs> if 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 you put an environment out there where people don't are shy or they're introverts or they speak a different language or it's male dominated and you know the, it, it, which is typical, right? You now have an environment where they can come in later and start drawing and writing and post-it noting and adding applications and adding things to it. So now you've created a really a, a digital content uh, area where everybody goes in and says, okay, what's the project? Where are we on it? Like, wow, we got a lot done this week. Well, that's because we got 11 people working on it, not one just telling everybody. And it's a start and stop. You know, it's not a seamless situation. So we really built out exactly that so that everybody can contribute. There can be a conference call inside of it because we have it all built in the Zoom, the Chime, the WebEx, whatever. So it, it doesn't happen on your phone line. It's not on your VPN. It's inside this secure container. And then you can run a, I can run a video and everybody can see the video at the same time. Anybody can, you can put a full length movie in Bluescape and you could be like Napster. You can have all your friends join and you could start, stop, annotate. You can do all that in a, in, in a remote environment. So all those kinds of tools really drives up people's ability to say, Hey, I contributed. And then, you know, when the person who didn't, God, you talk so much, but you don't do anything. I haven't seen you do anything in here in a while. When are you going to contribute? So it, you know, it has, it gets everybody motivated to do things. It isn't around time. It's around productivity. So you're more or less recreating a physical space in the virtual. You're giving people the ability to collaborate in, in, in a similar or the same style they would. And then ultimately it's going to come down to management and work culture, right? The, the people who are going to use this tool uber successfully are the ones who have that type of mentality where what we're measuring is not how many hours your ass is in that seat at the, at, you know, at the day, what we're measuring is not, are you the, the last one to leave? It's what are we actually accomplishing? So you're, you're for, for outcomes based companies who really empower or embolden their employees. They're not going to, they're, they're going to see a pretty seamless transition. Um, I imagine this has been a really interesting social experiment for a lot of reasons with, with COVID hitting and almost the forced remote mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. um, now that we're a couple months into it, we've had announcements from companies like Zillow and, you know, others who, who said we, we really were never considering remote work before we were aware of it. Uh, but now that it's, it's happened, we, we actually are, are going to implement this as a policy within our company and an option for employees moving forward, even when we can uh, mm -hmm. physically bring people back into the same space. Are you guys, w what are you seeing on your end as, as the biggest roadblock? Because it sounds like if, if your software is going to make that transition most easy or easiest for, for companies, how do you get in? How do you pitch them? What, what do you say when they say, all right, we're, we're looking at the, the universe of tools. I've got Zoom. I've got Google Meet. You know, a lot of them are free for certain things. Why wouldn't I just go with, you know, G Suite plus Zoom plus, you know, all these, these other things that I can g easily get access to? Yeah. And even free. I mean, like things like Microsoft Teams, you know, like, you know, obviously there's Slack out there. Salesforce has some product called Quip. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a bunch of little like choices out there, and you know that that they when you when you start to narrow it down, um, and you're thinking about what you want to do there, you have to you have to functionally say, hey, oh, we're just doing conference calls because we're just having discussions. There's not a lot of content flying around. There's not a lot of images. You know, we have a lot of people that don't have that. The movie making, 
business. You know, they, they need to have access to video content. They mm-hmm. used to get it inside a studio. Um, we have people that do all their interviews in it. So they keep the resumes in there. And then all the other managers come in on a different thing and say, I, I can't stand Aaron. We can't hire that guy or whatever. Like there's a, there's, there's all these like use cases where we're involved because you need to bring a bunch of content in. You don't bring a bunch of content into Slack and work on it together. You don't bring videos uh, into uh, Microsoft Teams. And it's persistent. Like, what did we do last week? What did we do a month ago? You know, what, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, I think, yeah. Uh, I it, whereas, Go backing a little bit on what you were saying. I think the pendulum is like definitely extremely you know, remote, 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 everybody's going to work from home. And then people are making it sound like, how cool is that? Well, not everybody has, you know, a big old house and, and, you know, you got, you got dogs and you got actually a spouse who was there and she doesn't want you there. And if you've got got children and they're not going to school, there's a lot of things that quickly stack up to make your home, not the sanctuary you hoped or wished it would be. We could dive into the pendulum swing in, in terms of what's negative, the mental health thing. But I actually think it's more around, this idea of remote work, which has just been overused, you know, and flat on Twitter and everybody's remote, you know, like, Oh, remote this statistically. Da, da, da. I actually just think you, you have to step back and think about like, if I have distributed teams and you mentioned, uh, you know, Zillow or whatever, people moving remotes, what, the, what can I do to make that more beneficial? And, you know, some people are saying, Oh, well, you're going to move to Salt Lake city. Well, I'm not going to pay you San Francisco rates. So, you know, it's kind of like, all right, well, wait a minute, that, that was going to actually let me afford to have something other than a 400 square foot apartment in San Francisco. Now I can actually raise a family in a neighborhood or whatever. Like to me, the pendulum has gone way over. And and when it starts to come, you know, it probably comes back 25% in a year and a half. Right. You're still Mm -hmm. dealing with half the distributed team. Half the people saying, Hey, I can't go back to work. I moved. Um, But, but you actually have to have a place that people get their work done. And so, uh, distributed teams are really a good way to look at it, whether you go back to an office or you don't. Um, and then, you know, that, that in itself, those tools that are out there, uh, and there's whiteboarding tools out there. You mentioned the conference call tools, Microsoft trying to do what they've always done, which is, Hey, let's make Explorer, you know, let's destroy Netscape. Let's, let's just keep stacking up everything. And so when you buy into it, and they're like, yeah, it's free, but you got to pay for this thing over here. Right. And so they're able to move the deck around uh, in a way they're very, very good. They're, they're, they're masterful at it. Uh, even though, And they know because they've lost any trust what they're doing, but they're trying to bundle you in. And then you've got these outliers out there, like what's going to happen to Zoom? What's going to, you know, they're trading at 500 bucks a share. What's going to happen to Slack? And then you got AWS who used to control the cloud business. And now AWS is saying, hey, we might be losing market share to Google, as you pointed out, or to Watson, which is IBM, right. or Oracle Cloud. And what is this battle for the cloud all about? Because the way I look at the cloud, it's just like a bunch of hard drives in the sky that we're all sharing on, right? Different levels of security, you know, like that. But the way Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud, thinks about it is, hey, if I can get you to use my tools, if I can get you to do all this, guess what else I could sell you down the road? I could sell you AI and the big promise of AI. Well, you get AI by getting a bunch of data. And if you get a bunch of data, then you get a bunch of behavior. Then you, you, you can replace human behavior with you know, computer behavior. So this fight everybody's getting in the cloud wars and sticking these things out there on the periphery to get you to use is actually to start to, to build uh, AI around you. And so mm-hmm. the war, the, the cloud wars are really interesting. You're seeing all the tools flying around. Like, what do we pick? How do we pick it? But when you pick it, 
my belief is that you want to you want to pick something that allows you to be flexible and to move around. You don't want to be trapped in the Facebook, you know, thing where like, are they tracking my data or, you know, how is how do they know I was looking for mattresses? It's showing up on every Instagram I look at, you know, like pretty soon, you know, you, people are getting weird about what they want to associate with and who they are. So, so just make sure. Is that one of the things you're giving up then is access to, to some of the data when you are on the Microsoft uh, in their universe? And, and is that something that's different with Bluescape? Because I know, I know you guys are working with the U.S. Air Force. You're working with a lot of yeah. government entities as well. So sure. I have to imagine that security and privacy are two of the things that are very important you know, to clients. Everything I do at Ford, all those cars are building with it, everything else. Uh, you know, I have the two biggest e-commerce companies in the world. You know, like, I'm not touching that data. Mm-hmm. But those other people that are combining some tools with the data and they're giving it away to you for free, free, you know, that, that generally free is, you know, you never trust the free, uh, but there is a, there, the AI is real. VR is real. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all these things are real. They're not, they're not stuff. You, you know, it's, it's like five years ago when we were talking about, you know, meatless burgers, you know, now, you know, they're all over the place. Right. So that's, what's going to happen here. We're going to have AI, and they're going to know more about what you were about to do before you were going to do it than you know than you know ever. And it's like, hey, why don't you go down this path? This is what you were going to do anyway. Hmm. And so that kind of creeps you out in a sense. You want to control that. That's the important thing. You want to control that. So beyond the, you know, I, I, I agree nothing in the world is free. They're going to monetize you some way and somehow if they're offering you free tools. But beyond that, it sounds like when you have, you, you talk about tool sprawl. I always like when I come up, when, when I find new words or concepts that describe something that I experience inherently, but just don't have the language. It's like decision fatigue. When I heard about decision fatigue, I was like Zuckerberg. I went out and bought, you know, a hundred different turtlenecks or maybe that was jobs. But now I just dress the same every day and I never have to make that decision because I I heard about decision fatigue, but I love this idea of tool sprawl and it, where I feel like it hits hard is anytime you have employees and and you have to adopt new technologies, you're then adopting, you know, 50 different technologies that they have to seamlessly move through. And it's never seamless. There's different varying levels of tech uh, abilities and capabilities. You, you, you know, you don't want to have to have a hundred people on your IT team to manage your tech stack. So just having one tool to log into that, that really manages 50 different things, whether it's the communication aspect or the collaboration aspect, all of that makes perfect sense. And then think about just onboarding new people. What does the process look like when you do hire a new employee? How many of those you you want them to start, right? These are the people that you're so excited to get on your team to get going and, and have have their human capital contributing. And then you have just hours and hours of training videos to just figure out how the hell their systems work. And, and then you have to be on Slack all day long with IT because you're like, this isn't working that. So I, I think that alone is a huge selling point for, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the one tool to, to really be able to integrate. What else? I mean, you, Beyond the tool sprawl, we, I wanted to talk about what it means to be a platform versus an app and having all these disparate apps. Is there something I, I missed there as far as when, when you um, look at your software and you look at how other people, you know, other companies are really running and managing and collaborating in, in the virtual space? Do you ever just like want to wring your own neck and, and, and run to the rescue of these people? What, what, what is it that you see that other people don't? Yeah, I, th- I actually think that people are trying to make people are making technology decisions 
if they're divisional and they're not IT driven, they, they just make knee jerk reactions. Let's just, you know, it's 90 days free. Let's all get on it and decide what we want. And that's how right. Hammer started, Slack started, everything else. Uh, you made a really good comment. And that is, it's just, I think it's 129 applications. A typical company has 129 applications. It could be an expense report application, it could be Salesforce, uh, it could be your, fi- your finance data, it could be a whole bunch of stuff. And so that, that where this platform really goes is, if you think about platforms and having them be shareable, kind of like Google Docs, we can all work on it together. But what if you could apply that to all 29 of the applications out there? What if you could apply shareable, then you could be working on stuff together and, and getting to the latest revision and everything else with everybody. What if, what if you could come up with a no-code platform that makes everything shareable? Uh, there's no expense to the developer and all the advantages to the end user. Now, one company called Tableset or something like last week just raised $165 million, no revenue, and uh, you know, on a, on a you know, couple billion dollar valuation on this concept of no code. So that's where we're going. It's these platforms that are going to say, hey, by putting all your things in there and putting all your people in there, it'll get organized. It'll feel like you're all working together. And so you really have to make a, a, an informed decision to move to that kind of platform whether it's today or down the road. And that's why we're growing so fast because so many people are saying, I need a secure platform where I can consolidate all my apps and all the things associated with it. What does it mean? It means that as a new employee, to your point, or or it's like, what's my password? Or where do I go? Instead, everything is resident for you on one screen. And so you run around from campus to campus, say, oh, I got to do expenses. Here they are. If I got to do this, or I want to share this with my boss. Let me just invite him really quickly. And then all of a sudden he gets called and he's in the container looking at it at the same time you are a hundred people, or I've had, I've had 500 people working on a project together. So it's, it's, it just makes a lot more sense than having a bunch of tabs running across all your like browsers that are open that are SaaS apps. Uh, yeah. You got your cell phone, you're, you're texting, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're slacking as you pointed out. So this sort of consolidates all that thing into something that's simple and easy and persistent, persistent, meaning it's always there. You can go back to it. I love this. Is, are, are you seeing most of your growth from companies that have, you know, either got funding or, or are just starting to grow and they're looking at what, what is the tool that's going to take us to the next level and they find you or, or can you actually take somebody? I mean, we already talked about Ford and I know you guys have big names on there. Um, what does it look like when you have these companies with these legacy systems that are running 129 different apps and then all of a sudden they see what you guys are doing? To me, that sounds like every single C-suite in the, in the damn company has to be in on that decision from the, you know, the, the CFO to the, whoever it is, if, if you are looking, or is there a way to dip your toes in the water with Bluescape to like implement it, use it, get, get accustomed to it. And then once you see, I mean, maybe they could systematically replace app after app after app until they're, they're cleaning house. Yeah. I think the go to market strategy is what I think you're bringing up a good point because you know, so many of the ones that sort of infiltrate our apps or tools, right? It's mm-hmm. free for 90 days and then you're going to be able to, uh, you know, upgrade it. Uh, and then, you know, like, what's your credit card number? And then you go to IT and say, hey, I just expensed this. And then IT goes, what are you doing? You're putting our financial data at risk. You can't do that. But, you know, that's how that's how the VCs look at things. They, they mm-hmm. love um, a freemium to premium because there's a how many people downloaded? What was the engagement rate? How many churned? You know, and they say, "Oh God, they they have a fifty-five you know 
percent conversion rate. I, I kind of looked at it more like our good friend Aaron, you know, who built Box. He kind of went out and said, "No, I'm going to sell it to the enterprise. I'm going to go like be very secure. I'm going to sell it. It's going to cost you, and I'm going to meet all the standards of this enterprise." And that's how I've gone at it. Like I've gone at it that says it isn't how many customers I have. It's how deep I am. And it is a C decision. All of my deals are, they are the, the, you know, they're coming from the C-suite and the contracts take a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not like, oh, I talked to you yesterday and you bought it next week. We're like, they're looking at saying, hey, this is how we're going to train. Like Lionsgate's a good example. Basically, the guy said, I want to try this. We're going to get in bed with these divisions. Now it's mandatory. Every single employee uses it, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing happens at Ford. Same thing happens. So I, I'm very top down. Uh, and because at the end of the day, you end up in this thing called two things. One's called pen test, which is performance testing. Mm-hmm. And they hire a third party to come in and just decide to destroy your platform and tell you what's broken. And the other one is the AppSec guy. The AppSec guy, you know, is, you know, for the most part, they don't have a sense of humor. Um, they, they come up with a laundry list of things. What if somebody is a severed? How quickly does your system shut off? Or um, what if uh, you have something in the container that is proprietary in one place to five people and, and there's 20 people in there? How do you segment that? Or, you know, all that stuff goes into an AppSec report and then you can't get clearance to launch until the AppSec guy signs it off. And you can't take that guy out for golf or get him drunk or do whatever. Like, he's just a menace. Mm-hmm. Or she's us, right? And so th- this this whole concept of security with these vital documents, you're building a movie, you're building, uh, you're doing your financials, you're going public, you know, whatever. You, they, this AppSec guy's CISO executive, he's under the gun to deliver a platform with all these people that are working all over the place that is secure. And so that's that kind of sums up my life. Like there isn't a day <laughs> where I'm not like, why haven't we launched there? Why, we have one customer that is at like 115,000 users as of this morning, launched to adding 50,000 on Tuesday, 50 more thousand on Thursday, and then 200,000 next week. It's taken me seven months to get to that point. And so that's sort of how my go-to-market strategy is. It isn't, I'm not sure that the freemium to premium thing isn't as great, but you actually have to be a tool or like an application to do that, not a platform. But I mean, I think with a lot of the enterprise, especially, you're going to have to get buy-in from the organization. So getting getting it from the top first really kind of guarantees that. And then it's it's a cultural shift that's happening when you're using your tool, it sounds like anyway. And when people get in, it's it's brilliant. So I, I do want to transition back to what it looks like at the individual level, like what, what companies can be doing to increase productivity right. um, by, by allowing more. There was a book by, uh, you know who Dan Pink is? Yeah. He wrote a book called Drive and he identified three things. He said, these are the things that really motivate people. Um, and, and here's why most companies don't actually focus on them, uh, you know, it, because it's, that was like business 2.0 and, and here's where we're going. And one of the things right. that, that you got, you're, you're really hammer on, like I've read that LinkedIn article you put up earlier. Um, and, and it's, it's really that autonomy piece. So he identified autonomy, mastery, and purpose. These are the three things that individuals look to. And that kind of hit me when, when I read it. So it always stuck with me. 
and what you really gain and and like we said earlier remote work isn't the the magic wand where you wave it and all of your employees are immediately happy life can be more difficult working remotely sometimes so it's a feature it's it's something that you can promote within your company and you can actually be more productive having a decentralized work staff you can actually hire talent that are the most qualified people in the world if the world is is truly your oyster right if you can go anywhere so a lot opens up to you as long as it's it's done right and you have the tools to facilitate it. But what, what have you seen? I, I do want to talk personally, like what, how did you get to this point where you, you identified that autonomy, give, giving workers the ability to control their own time, to control what they're working on when, and, you know, just focusing on outcome. How, how did you identify that this was, was something that's worthwhile that you wanted to promote in your own company and that you think others should really be paying more attention to? I, I had a. I, I was reflecting on this last week because there was a there's an article or, or a, a podcast that somebody with a guy named Pat Ball, and mm. he's one of the top enterprise CROs, you know, out there. Whatever you want to call it, customer engagement, whatever it is he's a salesman, but he doesn't want to use the word sales. Um, uh, and in the interview, he 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 called, he he had side LinkedIn and said, "Pete, you should listen to ten you should listen at 10, 10 minutes. And he said, working for Peter Jackson, uh, you know, way back in the nineties, you know, taught me how to build a company and how to build a team. And, 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 and I started reflecting on it and it, it really came from the fact that I learned a lot going, uh, being an athlete and, uh, you know, like endless work to, to, to perform. And then applying a lot of that to business, people would call us dumb jocks, but I used to look at things like, we do things as teams. And when I got in the industry, it was all about individuals. The comp plans were all written about individuals. They weren't written on team comp. And so, you know, just because you worked your tail off with an engineer to win the deal, you got all the commission, the engineer didn't get any commission. Or so, so I started building these pods of, and a lot of people are like, they're the top executives at Salesforce, PagerDuty, you know, all these guys have worked for me. They sort of caught on to this idea that you build it, you build these pods and teams of people and the teams are competing with each other. Like, Hey, we just got another million bucks. We're going to kill you at the end of the quarter. And then I built my company around a full court basketball court. I put in a weight room. I put in a volleyball court and we, we, you know, the first, you know, and from a motivational standpoint, you, you could play every day, but you had to sign up. Nobody could sign up for you. <laughs> so everybody wanted to play and there was only so much time that they could play. I mean, so many people could play, there was a, you know, a whiteboard in the, in the weight room and people were like tearing out of their cars, you know, trying to get in there to make sure that they, they were in the game and that they could play. And so this concept of team, this concept of it isn't, and it's tough when you're recruiting now because people that come in are used to the, the way they do things. And so it, it, it takes me a while, but it comes from the, from something that happened to me in, in when I switched from rugby, uh, from soccer to rugby. And I remember I had a break and I just ran like crazy and I scored. And, you know, fortunately, I put the ball down in the end zone because you're supposed to do that. But I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I, I, if I played rugby for nine years, I didn't know 90% of the rule. <laughs> I, I remember jumping up and down like people are going to come and do high fives with me, you know, and carry me around like I'm so great. And they were celebrating at the other end of the field. So I got down there and said, hey, what about something for the guy, you know? And they're all like, you didn't score. We scored. Like, that's how rugby is. Like, when you score, 
When a person scores, nobody gives you accolades. It's because the linemen are getting bloody ears and doing all this stuff to set you up so you can score. And I learned something from that that I applied to business that it's like it takes everybody to yeah. succeed in business. And I like to lead that way. Uh, there's a lot of parallels there to where we are politically too. I feel this at a societal level. We we're, we're so ruggedly individualistic that, you know, there's definitely benefits. You can look at the U S and other extreme individualist countries versus more, more, um, collectivist, if you will. And there's plenty of things you can point to that say that you would be able to say that's extremely positive. And I, I like that about, but, but you do, there are these downsides to it. And I do see that a lot where, where, we even people who who you could point to places and people in their lives who, who have really believed in them and 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 they wouldn't be where they were today without a, a lot of these things lining up for them but we have this idea that it's all us all the time and i think it's metaphorically true to us when when we act that way and believe that way we're probably going to be more successful because of how society um reacts to people who are overconfident. It's just, it, it seems to be a, a skill, a, a benefit or a, a good quality in a lot of places in your life on an individual level. But when you look at a business at a whole, as a whole, and, and you're the CEO, you're the captain, you need to be leading the company, not the individuals to success. It, it seems like that can come at the, it's almost this zero sum. I mean, this is the name of the podcast is non-zero growth is not a zero sum game. And there's all these yeah, transactional zero sum things there. that you can do. To okay, right. Yeah, to benefit yourself. Uh, but the reality is, how do we create systems that are, you know, that promote symbiosis, that promote, promote mutual benefit, meaning when Joe wins on sales, Jack wins or Jill wins in, in the dev team, right? How, how do we all, how are we all better off? Have you... Uh, you, definitely, you definitely have a good one there. So that, that's what, like at, at a very high level, th those are the kinds of things I, I'm, I'm trying to like get out. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you with how much you think about um, how autonomy can affect and, and how empowering people as individuals, but really for, for the benefit of the collective, how can you create those systems as a leader? You're in that position right now. You're doing some of those things. You've been a, a leader, you know, and, and, and been doing them since the 90s to create a work environment that does that. Have you identified outside of, you know, create a great cafeteria and a gym in, in the workspace? Are there ways to financially uh, uh, accomplish those things? I mean, uh, what, what are some ways you, you, you've gotten creative over, over your decades of experience? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely do. You know, I mean, I always would create in back in the days. I create the teams and, and the winning team each year. You know, you're on the blue team, green team. The winning team got to bring their spouse, uh, and they would, we'd all go to the Mauna Kea in Hawaii. Um, and uh, you know, that included a salesman, sales manager, an accounting person, a person in the warehouse. I had people tell me they've never been out of you know Fremont, California, let alone Hawaii. And you got an all expense. It's, it's, you can do certain things that are like that. that, that it, it, look, this is the important thing you have to understand to build team. Team is all about trust. And so if you do this, yeah, well, you know, Aaron isn't the sharpest guy. You know, like, you kind of screwed that up. Like, you, <laughs> if you are a leader or you're in an organization and you're self-promoting yourself by belittling others and you don't even know you're doing it, but it starts in the family where you grew up and it's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, we know she always does that. We know he always does it. But it sort of starts. The reward is that's not loyal. That's not right. Um, there's no room for politics. There's no room for opinions. 
there's there's no room. There's, it, you, you have to be super sensitized. Like I don't let anybody talk about politics on Slack. I you know there and it's hard in this day. It's really hard. Um, but you brought up a really good point about team spirit of team rewarding team. If you really go back and see when this country wasn't divisive at all, uh, was you know nine eleven suddenly didn't matter who was in charge. It was like, we're all come together. Like, Hey, you're messing with, you're messing with us. This, you know, we're America. This is great. It was like, didn't matter what side of the aisle you want, you know? And the other one was Tip O'Neill couldn't stand Ronald Reagan when he ran. Like that, that just was Tip O'Neill and Ron were going to be on the other side of the thing. A lot of people didn't know they became best friends after like a month because they forced themselves into the oval office almost every Friday they, they split a bottle of champagne, sort of Winston Churchillish, and they would they would barter off the things that were going on in Congress and Senate around. They would sit there and say, "Wait, wait, I gave you that one last week." Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, can you imagine Nancy Pelosi and Don Trump having a glass of champagne? Going, I'll tell no, you what, I'll give you this. It's not going to happen. And so, you know, those are brighter times. You know, and, and Clinton was also it didn't matter which side of the thing. They just crossing the aisle. And embracing, and that's no different than a company and how you're running your company. And the other thing is, some people like to work at six a.m. Some like to work at nine. Some like to work at nine at night. You cannot uh, put all your people and say she, he, uh, whatever sex they are, whatever sex they want to be, whatever political thing. Like everything is okay. Everything is normal. You cannot lead with what you are. And what whatever beliefs you are, you have to lead by making everybody feel that they're even if two people are completely different, you have to honor both of them. And that's mm-hmm. the hard part, I think, of leadership. And I think the reward that comes from that is safety, trust and productivity. And you want heterodox thinking within your organization, too. I mean, it, there's plenty that that separates us, whether it's politics or whatnot. But th- there's more that we agree on. I, I actually believe that I'm not like serving up some platitude. I believe there's more that most human beings would actually agree on. And we just get the, the loudest voices in the room that kind of polarize things. So, so I, I, yeah, but, but I, I do also believe that one of the things about working remote is you don't always get to experience what it's like to be with somebody. And there's some, everything, there's like levels of, 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 uh, uh, abstraction where things get lost in, in the, in the mix. So a lot of times I'll say, Hey, it takes an out, you know, it, it takes five minute phone call to accomplish what an hour of email would do. And sometimes it takes a two minutes of, of a video chat to do what five minutes of a phone call could do. Cause you're, you're losing out on what it makes a, what it means to make us human. And you talked about, um, how, how one of the things your mom taught you that as, as a special ed teacher was, um, about body language and about reading people. And so I want to talk about how being in a virtual space, even, even, even in a virtual space, sometimes it still is important to connect and the the right tool, being able to be in the room and have everybody collaborate in a similar fashion as you would in a, in a physical space to me seems, seems like a huge thing. It seems like, you know, having the, the ability to hire from all over the world, all of these things you can talk about on paper that are great, but there is something that's lost on a human level when you don't actually get to see somebody, you don't actually get to 
physically collaborate and and really have some sort of tete-a-tete or back and forth in real time. I wish we could we could go into or, or actually even like show what a, a meeting in Bluescape looks like, because I think that's what you're trying to get toward, right, is, is this ability for real collaboration, real human interaction in a world where maybe you can't shake hands, right? But yeah. the rest of it, you might be able to still do. And I think that's what a lot of people get concerned about with virtual work or remote work is, am I losing the magic? Am I losing the humanity that, that allows us to, to all sit together and, and problem solve? And I think the answer is closer and closer every day to being, no, you're not, you're not really losing that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, you know, I, you said as my mom and great memory, yeah, deaf and blind children only had to have both, you know, at my day, at my you know dinner table for a great part of my youth. And I knew them all. They all knew me. They always used to grab my knees because I had holy jeans and they just want to make sure it was me. So they always grab my knee if I had holy jeans on. But, you know, um, their communication was vibration. You know, that's how they communicated. So they had to put their fingers onto your mouth or they had to feel your fingers in order to you know, give them some idea of, of some form of communication. So that's in the roots. Um, I think the communication when people are in distributed teams, you know, I think it's important. Body language is really important. Um, really understanding. I really read people really well. Um, and I know when they're, yeah, I can see you're listening. Now, I can tell when people aren't listening um, or they're, they're just waiting for you to finish so they can get their two cents in. And then, you know, I don't take offense to it. I just sort of say, Hey, you know, I just want to make three points really quickly. Just three. I just want you to hold on to these three points, you know? So, you know, using communication skills that, like you said, you get something done in five minutes, you don't just babble for 20. Uh, and so the, you know, what are the takeaways you really want to take away? Like, and, 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 and to me leading or wherever you are in the business, I think businesses should be run from the bottom up anyway, because people on the street know what's going on. We certainly mm-hmm. learned that. We certainly learned that the hard way in Afghanistan uh, against the Taliban because they were making all their decisions in the field and we're making everything that our decisions in D.C. and they're just annihilating us. Right. Right. So we have to we have to create cultures where people are reading it, reading each other and getting together on a personal level. Every call has to start with a personal time, like about your brother, your brother's band, you know, or or uh, or your dad uh, and his baseball career. Or, or whatever, like having some connection with all your employees to know them more than, hey, I need you to you know, do this or I need you to do that. So it's like, I think the 10 minutes that starts everything you do is that human power of communication. How are you doing, man? Um, I'm all right. Like, how was your weekend? How was it getting back on Monday? It sucks, man. I had a great Sunday and I had to get to the, or, you know, I'm doing really well or, you know, I've lost some weight. I've been hiking or whatever. It's like that get connection is really important. And then trying to figure out where people are, you know, like if they actually, if you could send them a bottle of wine or champagne or, or, or just try to try to break up, break it up from the standpoint of just making meaningful connections with people that have nothing to do with your work. Uh, and those are really important components to me. Yeah. And I, I think again, that, that goes to keeping things human. Are you, for your organization, are you a fan of a more flattened org chart or org structure? Meaning, do you have a lot of communication going on between, I don't even know if you would refer to them as the rank and file and, and, you know, the C level, or is it, is it really about empowering the rank and file to make their own decisions and 
it's not necessarily as much about the direct access and communication between the top of the org chart and, you know, the middle and bottom. We have our problems. Um, you know, we're a heavy engineering organization. We're in the 70th, you know, 70 percentile engineering. A lot of, a lot of people in Canada uh, and the Bay Area. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a certain style by which things get done and, 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 and some people don't agree on uh, stand-ups and, and, and timeframes and, and releases and all that stuff. And it's tough because they're under a tremendous amount of pressure to meet these customer demands. And so, you know, you've got, you've got a high proportion of your factory, you know, just jamming away. Um, and, you know, a lot of them enjoy putting on their headset and just cranking on their keyboards and going. Hmm. Uh, I'm fortunate that a lot of my teammates had worked together at BlackBerry or Adobe together as a team. So they hit the ground running in terms of knowing what you do, what you do. And so they have their own little family. That group does, does really well. It's a little, it's a little more difficult when you've got a really good person who's a sales person, but they're not selling. Uh, and is that the problem because your product st- sucks or you're not cycling it well, or we're not marketing it correctly. So, you, you know, a lot of times people just don't feel good because they're not doing well on the job or their performance doesn't feel really well. And, you know, sometimes that's on the leadership. And so from my perspective, I try to be a flat organization. Um, I try to, like, answer the question with a question. Peter, what should we do here? What do you think we should do? Or what do your people think we should do? And so mm-hmm. instead of me saying, we're going to go right and everybody's going to come with me, I more or less got to push back, ask the question with a question. And I've got a guy who's worked for me. I've got a couple of people who worked for me for lots of years. Mike Price is my lord. He left me in 09, you know, gave me a high five and said, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm not working with you anymore. We started out of college. Never, never again. And <laughs> he came back to work for me or work with me, I should say. And we just laugh about all these kinds of things around productivity and people and, 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 and really trying to bring the best out. Um, because I think you get high performance, get high loyalty, low turnover. Um, and, you, you know, are you personally involved in, in, in a lot of the hiring still? Do you sit down with candidates either before or even, you know, shortly after they're, they're on board? I am not. I mean, I, I, you know, at this point in time, it, all the engineers that came over in a group fashion was, you know, no headhunters. You know, they came in, they hit the ground running. And like I said, a lot of them came out of Blackberry. Well, that was out of Waterloo. So it's like they just walked down the street. Um, so, yeah, I'm involved a lot on the sales and marketing front, you know, I was able to recruit a really high-end uh, marketing leader. Uh, I knew her because I advised her company on a transaction. Uh, she went to Columbia, Stanford Business School. She really knew how to build marketing mm-hmm. and do all that stuff. And so, you know, it's a personal relationship, but I didn't hire her. I ended up having her interview with everybody. And, if, and I've had a few of those who are like, Pete, I just don't see the fit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to me, the decision-making on people uh, has to be a group of people. And, and I can't, I would say I can't influence. And, and I'll finish by saying I, my CRO is a guy named MT Robertson. Great guy. Other than he went to USC. Sorry. I went to Cal. <laughs> but, uh, but when I was trying to hire him, I had met him. He was selling yellow page ads door to door. And so I went to the guy who was running sales at the time. And he's like, I interviewed your guy. Like, there's no way in hell he's going to work here. I said, well, what did you like about him? He goes, well, first of all, do you know what he's doing right now? I said, yeah, he's selling yellow page ads. And he's like, we, that's, this is an Ivy league guy, right? He's, that's not how he talks to me. He goes, do you know how low scummy that is? I go, no, I think it's impressive. That's yeah, why. I I like it. 
We went out and I said, excuse me, are you telling me to hire him? That's that's not a Peter Jackson. You don't tell anybody to hire anybody. Go, no, no. I'm strongly suggesting you give him a chance because I think he'll be great. And we went back and forth and he was like calling me out on my thresholds of stuff that I'd been doing for 20 years. I said, oh, okay, I got a suggestion. Hire him for 90 days as a consultant. <laughs> See how he works out. He goes, okay, 90 days. I guarantee this guy's going to be a piece of crap. So anyway, like I said, he's my CRO now and he worked at Tanium before that. And he, he like being our top guy after like a year and a half. You got, you had a, you had an advantage though. You got to see him in action and I'm with you. I mean, if somebody's knocking on doors and they actually do that well, that's one of the toughest things just to even have the guts to go up to those doors nowadays, people are so, you know, unconfrontational. It, it takes a lot. And so if you can do those jobs well, is there anything, have you identified anything like uh, any non-traditional things that, that you look for when you're trying to find good talent that would either be a, an indicator to you, something that somebody else might not see or know to look for, especially early in the career, but that A, they're going to be productive and, 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 and a strong employee, and, but B, also that they might fit in with your culture well. Because I, I think those are two separate things, right? Somebody could be a great candidate that just doesn't fit your, your company that well. Yeah. I mean, I have to be very careful because, you know, I think about it in the sense that I have to trust other people's opinions. Um, and so where I might get a bad vibe from it, uh, or this person is at sort of the Peter Jackson thing. They'll say, Pete, but you, what you don't understand is that this person brings this other skill set. And so mm-hmm. I definitely look when I'm in the one on ones and I do interview a lot of them just because it helps recruit them. Um, I do look for a lot of uh, empathy um, and I do look for compassion. And so when you tell me what you you know, how you feel as a father or how you feel about um, your hobbies uh, and you know, what, 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 what really makes you tick or, you know, I, I hate to say I've read all the books on the, uh, on the family birth order, you know, what the oldest child's like with the baby. And I could be 10 minutes in an interview and go up, oh, you're an oldest, <laughs> you know? Um, and so th- this is this thing that culturally I kind of look at and say, it's okay. He's an oldest. He's going to want to control it or she's going to want to control it. She's the perfectionist. Mom and dad counted every one of their poops when they were babies. You know, by the third one came along, they were still in the diaper for a day. (laughs) So, you know, you get a different behavior from a third than you do from a one. A two tends to be a little bit more independent. If it's a larger size family, they kind of get a little rogue and they come around, but they like to do their own thing. You know, babies, you know, are typically like really great. They care about the family history. They're super, they want to be at every event, but they're also the ones who feels like, they get screwed or they're, they pout a bit or they'll be like, Oh, here we go. I guess I'm not in on it. You know, <laughs> so, you know, there's this, this is nature that I look at that you apply the same emotional thing when people are coming to the company and you got to have a balance of birth order and you have to look at people and say, Hey, this is a sensitive person. Don't bring up these kinds of things around them or bring it up in a group. Don't bring it up a group, bring it up individually. So I think it takes a lot of that kind of psychology. You know, I studied a lot of psychology um, and like I said, I grew up with handicapped people. So I, I always thought that I was weird. I grew up in Berkeley with handicapped people with a dominant mother who worked. And so, you know, I always thought women did work and I didn't understand when there was an equal pay. And so it's just, it's probably just more that that's the DNA I come from. Man ahead of his time. It was, we were talking earlier about, um, uh, Tip O'Neill and, and Reagan. And you saw this, you saw the same thing with Ruth Bader Ginsburg who just passed and, oh, yeah. uh, which was tragic and, and Scalia. 
which was nobody understood it. But uh, I do think we, we, we connect, connect at a human level. They both, you know, they were peers. They were both on the highest court possible. I guess that it didn't hurt that they both had lifetime employment. So they never had to really worry about any, any sort of office or workplace dynamics. But, um, I, I would, uh, you know, I, I want to be conscious of your time and, and wrap up here. Is there anything you want to you know, focus on? Cause what I really just want to get out is, is that there are different ways to think about how, uh, about leadership and, and how you can run an organization. And one of the things I think you're doing really well uh, and a bang up job uh, beyond just having a, a product that seems ripe for its time. And you guys are doing a lot right at Bluescape to, to help with, you know, remote work, virtual and collaboration. But once, once you, you have this sort of, um, this, uh, uh, acceptance of that, you, you can still have the tendency where you, you just want to run it as business as usual. It's just the same exact business. We're just all in different parts of the world. And any tips you've got for, for people who are transitioning, um, th- a lot of times, um, those transitional periods can be times of introspection and we can reflect on other things too. What can they do? What can companies really do to, so, so that if they do want to take the next step to really adopt a more virtual and, and collaborative space and, and give more autonomy to their employees, you know, what, what, what are your, uh, golden bits of advice, I guess. Don't, don't, don't take that too, uh, too seriously. Cause, <laughs> cause you can just, you can throw anything out there right now. I'll throw three things out there. You know, first of all, you have to you have to think about what you look like in 24 months and how you're going to maximize whatever your objective is. Like, where, where am I in 24 months? How am I going to get there? And how am I going to do it in this existing environment? Am I going to make everybody go back to the office? Or am I going to have a blend? Do I care? Like, you have to, if you're the leader, you have to decide, look, if you're in the retail business, you know, you're in the food business, people are going to have to go back to work. People have to cook. You know, people have to serve. Like, we're talking about businesses that, that you know, that reside inside a digital office. And so you need to improve your digital office. That's one. Two, don't be afraid to pivot your business. If you're going down a path in your business, you're not getting your revenues, you're not growing, or you're not getting productivity out of your people because they're, they're remote, you can pivot your people around. You can. I've made those decisions. I've taken somebody over here and moved them over here. Or I said, are you happy? Do you want to leave? Like, that's not... That's still empathetic. That's still be having a you know a conscience because mm-hmm. you're actually doing them a favor by asking them whether they really want to be doing it. Right? You got to go ask your employees: Are you happy? Is this what you really want to be doing? I help people go find new jobs even when they are happy. Look, ultimately, Peter, I want to be an actor, or ultimately, I like this. All right, so why don't you start taking some night classes? I'll support you. You know, stopping at three and doing whatever, but invest in your employees, but also invest in getting them out of there. If they're not, if you can't make those decisions those critical decisions about your people, you're not going to have a productive company. And so think about where you are in your business. And finally, what does your business size look like today? What does the whole industry look like? Is, are you a G, are you only geographical? Now you've got the opportunity to be everywhere because you know, if, if it was a face to face and you were this, you know, the Southern California, you were just going to do it there. Now you've got this opportunity to say, well, I can sell everywhere. I, you know, so don't look at your business, refresh yourself and use tools like you could use our platform or anything like that to say, how can I in 24 months make this even better, greater with greater people, greater happiness and, and sort of plan that way. Not the five year plan, but, you know, where do you see you when the pendulum comes back, you know, three eighths of the way it went? What do you look like? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think those are all great bits. And for any uh, Bluescape employees who are listening and you want to become an actor, remember Pete's got an in with Lionsgate. So that's <laughs> that's that's a big thing. And um, I, I appreciate it. We're, we're going to share. Go to bluescape.com if you want to find out more about the business. But Peter's just got a lot to say on alternative work uh, and things. So you're, I, I think we'll even link to your um, LinkedIn and some other things you put. But anything else you want, I'll, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes um, so that our, our audience can be directed to all, all the right places to get all that good information. And Peter, as always, I really appreciate you coming on the mic with me. Love to do this again uh, sometimes in the future. And we're going to keep an eye on Bluescape and all the great things you guys are doing. I'm going to keep an eye on your little brother. I think this, uh, <laughs> I'm going to shout out that his little brother's got a rock band that's, that's killing it right now. Yeah, well, that's what we need to be doing is giving my rock star brother more PR. Yeah, I know. Check out Young the Giant for anybody who wants to know. You can say, oh, I heard about this band. It gets a little bit angry when, you know, someone does better than the other, but it's Young the Giant. Young the Giant, that's right. Yeah, they're pretty incredible. Love him to death. And uh, they, you know, they, they treat the band much like a business and they're 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 a powerhouse. They they really tour like it's their job. And, um, you know, they've done done some incredible stuff and got a fifth album coming out. So maybe I'll talk about them. It's a five ethnicities that are in there. You know, you've got... You know, it's a very diverse all, band, yeah. Very diverse, and and uh, and so that's. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to listen to it this afternoon, man. I'll, I'll give you my right, feedback. Yeah, let, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear it. Awesome. Well, it was good spending right. time with you. You too. Cheers, Peter.